Chocolate Bar, our lives, our strength, our time. I'm Bree. Thank you for joining us again, and thank you for your support. Um, this is going to be a pretty fun episode, I think. First of all, just for the fact that if y'all only knew how many tries it took to get this to work. So I am really appreciative of our guest today because she has hung with me and worked through my miserable troubleshooting skills and we finally got it together. So I'm really excited to have this conversation for that reason and not only that, but just because it's someone that I definitely admire and have been following for a while. And with that said, I'm going to ask our guest to introduce herself. Tell us who you are and what you do. Hi, I'm Deborah Carson. Um, I think people in the fitness and lifting, I guess you could say, realm know me as Deborah Cordner Carson. Um, and what I do currently is I'm a, I'm a home technician, take care of my mm -hmm. two wonderful children. <laughs> awesome. Yes. And tell us a little bit about uh, your involvement in that tiny little thing we call CrossFit. Right. Um, well, that started back in 2010 is when I found CrossFit, literally found mm -hmm. it on a run. I was literally on a run um, around Minneapolis where I live here mm -hmm. and um, walked into a CrossFit gym out of curiosity. And that and that's where it all started for me. Um, I did one class um, after the class. I remember the coach at the time thought I had some some uh, talent in it. Mm -hmm. And he was kind of, kind of um, scary, honestly, about it. He's like, there's a thing called the CrossFit Games. It's the mm -hmm. pinnacle of our sport. I think you could make it. And I'm like, I, sir, <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about, but, you know, chill. <laughs> and, but there was a part of me at the same time that he was saying that was that was very, like, there was a part of me that was like, this guy is crazy. There's no way I can right. do this. And there's another part of me that was like, you absolutely have to do this. And oh. it just took me, um, I would say a year to lean on the side of you absolutely have to do this. So it took me a while to quiet the other voice. Um, mm -hmm. So I just, I would just go to the CrossFit and do a class, um, you know, in between that time. And then once the 2011 season started, I think that was the first year of the Open. Mm -hmm. Which, I mean, to CrossFit's credit, it does make it very simple and easy for anyone to try to make it to the games, right? Like, for me right. to make it to the games, it wasn't a big, huge leap. It was like, hey, all I have to do, I think at the time it was like 20 bucks is, you know, give them 20 bucks, sign up and do these workouts. And that's mm -hmm. very, like, it was very um, just accessible to try. Okay. So that's all I thought I was doing. I kept babysetting my way there. So mm -hmm. um, in 2011, I decided to sign up for the Open with the hopes of making it to regionals. I think back then it was like, honestly, top 60 made it to regionals. It was mm -hmm. an insane amount of number, a number of people that could make it to regionals. Um, and at the end of the five weeks, I think it was, I ended up in first in the region. So awesome. I was surprised and happy. And um, fast forward, I, I ended up, I mean, spoiler alert, made it to the games. Um, in 2011, uh, made mm -hmm. it to the games again in 2012, and made it to the games in 2013. Um, after which I uh, decided to take a break and have babies. Um, mm -hmm. So I mean, mm -hmm. I could I could delve in more into those interesting years. All three of them very interesting, very different. 
Um, well, yeah what, yeah, what I'd love to do um, is maybe to take a step back to kind of see how you even got to that point, and then we'll talk about that. But So I'm really curious about, um, you know, because that is such a high level of competition. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as a, as a little girl, as a young person growing up, what was your relationship like with sports and movement? Um, I think that it was very organic in that I, I don't know why, but I always was trying to be competitive very mm-hmm. early on. Um, I was the youngest of three. I have an older sister and an older, even older brother. And mm-hmm. um, one of the things my brother thought, we always have these weird games and I love when I think about it now, I'm like, obviously my kids are growing up at a different time and I don't know if this would be a game they'd come up with, but um, what we would do is my brother would set his watch and we would run around two of our blocks two blocks uh-huh. and we had my sister's like she's still to this day she she works in like stats basically she's uh, basically an actuary or um, uh-huh. <laughs> she had her notebook and she would write down our times <laughs> and um i would visually as the youngest see the times and and be like all right i need to try to catch my sister and right. that was like my goal for like the first, I don't know how long, how many times I ran around that block and trying to figure out mm-hmm. how I could be faster. That's where it started. Honest to God. I, I, so I, I never stopped competing from that, those moments. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I then decided I wanted to be a gymnast and my dad was like, he honored that. And like the next day that I said I wanted to be a gymnast, he brought me to a local gymnastics gym and I did gymnastics for 10 years. Um, so my, I should even back up and say that the only reason that my parents who are both from Trinidad and Tobago are in this country is because my dad came here, um, on a, on a track scholarship, um, back in the sixties. Um, Mm -hmm. he actually Mm -hmm. started at Philander Smith college in Arkansas, um, which, yeah. yeah, And they, they ran on Little Rock, Arkansas high school's track is where they wow. practice. And so for coming from uh, Trinidad to the States where um, Trinidad was a little ahead of the times as far as um, their civil rights movements, right. um, it was it was hard for him to be in Arkansas. Yeah. Um, and yeah. so that's why he ended up transferring to Minnesota. People said, hey, it's a little better up north as far as that mm-hmm. goes. And so he ended up transferring to Minnesota, which is why we live here in Minnesota. <laughs> uh, so, well, I mean, story. yeah, it's just that ingrained into us, you know, being mm-hmm. a good athlete um, has always been like the cornerstone. It's like a, it's like a legacy for our family, you know, since my right. dad came here on a track scholarship. Right. So. That's awesome. Now you mentioned you have siblings. Do they, did they also sort of go further into athletics? Um, they honestly did it. I think my brother had the talent. He just didn't have the drive. If I'm being honest, mm-hmm. I don't think he'll listen to this, so he won't be a fun. <laughs> he is not very tech savvy. <laughs> um, and my sister, um, she, I think she's she's just a different athlete than me. I'm I'm just right. more of like a quick twitched kind of power mm-hmm. athlete, and she's more of like a she was good at volleyball and like she can mm-hmm. pick things up really quickly. Um, but right. nobody was as competitive as me, mm-hmm. just by nature. I, it's like right. it's almost a problem. I think it's, and I think it's a youngest child thing too. Maybe. I, I'm not, I'm not really competitive, but like, I definitely had those moments with my much older brother. I can do that too. And it's like, actually, no, you can't because you're like five. But anyway, um, yeah, so that's, that's really cool that that was sort of ingrained in your family. And so I'm curious because I think a lot of times with, um, you know, young black women growing up, um, you know, 
regardless of what we're doing, I think we get to a point where we recognize that we're not the standard, right? right. Not a standard of beauty, not the standard of, you know, what bodies look like and types and things like that. And oh so I'm gosh. curious if that had any effect on the way that you saw yourself. What was your relationship with like, um, your body growing up? I don't know. Just You just said some stuff that like me and my, I still have some really great friends from high school I talk to every single day and we were talking about mm-hmm. this. And actually me and my sister were talking about it recently, but I grew up in St. Louis Park, Minnesota, which at the time when we grew up, there wasn't a ton of black people in St. Louis mm-hmm. Park. So that was something that, you know, I recognize and I, um, it didn't bother me. Um, mm-hmm. I kind of kept my head down and just focused on what I needed to do. Um, what I will say is that in gymnastics, I did notice I was like heavier than, mm-hmm. than my, there, I was only black girl in my gymnastics club. Um, mm-hmm. I was, I was pretty much the heaviest. Um, and okay. at first it kind of bothered me, but I don't know what it is about me, but I don't stay focused on things long enough when I have mm-hmm. other things to do. So it, I'm not going to say it didn't bother me. I just know mm-hmm. that I was like, well, I also want to learn how to do a souk. So I just need to just, right. I, I don't really care at this moment. I right. want to learn how to do this trick or whatever, you know? So, mm-hmm. um, I didn't dwell on it for too long. Um, I did notice it when I ran college track eventually. I, so I switched sports on my junior year of high school. I'm sorry, mm-hmm. my sophomore year of high school, I tried, I tried out for the track team and I ended up being really good at it. And mm-hmm. um, so I decided to switch sports altogether and I went for a scholarship in track. So I was a sprinter. Um, and I ended up getting one at the University of Northern Iowa. And when I got there, okay. I was, yeah, I was, um, I was one of few black women yeah, on the team and it's the same it was the same thing where I felt like yeah I, I, I just weighed more I was just mm-hmm. dense and right. I am dense I shouldn't say was I still am me so um mm-hmm. it and it was nice this is what I talked about with my friends is that I kind of always felt like I wasn't pretty or I wasn't good Mm -hmm. good enough for Mm -hmm. I I never dated any well I dated somebody like my senior of high school from another high school where it was more predominantly black Mm -hmm. um and but in any case when I was at college I was surrounded by a lot of other athletes who were the all like the football team at Northern Iowa was like you know predominantly black football team and all of them made me feel like I was a star Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, <laughs> like they mm-hmm. held me up on such a high pedestal I I couldn't get enough in a way of oh, like just awesome. they were just all my friends like it was just it was interesting to finally be in a space where my thick legs and my right. bigger butt were celebrated mm-hmm. versus like a kind of almost like looked down upon right so right. I don't want to disparage anyone on my track team. No one ever said anything. Mm-hmm. It was just that everyone else did not look yeah. like me. That Right, right. So right. it was hard, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. I can, I can only imagine. Um, I did it to myself, so, though, with going to I, – I, I also had a scholarship at South Carolina, and I picked Northern Iowa to stay close to home, and I'm like, it would have been a totally different experience if I went yeah, to South Carolina. That might have been, <laughs> been a little different. Yeah. Right? Um, but it sounds like things worked out for you anyway. So, yes. Yeah. yeah. That, that's that's cool too. I definitely think there are no coincidences in the way that our our, our lives move through the world. Right. Um, so, kind of to go back. I mean, this relates, but moving back forward into you know you finding CrossFit mm-hmm. and sort of getting into that space. Um, what did getting into CrossFit and you know you found out you were really good at it and all of these things. 
how did that change the way that you saw yourself or even if you know if it changed the way that you looked at, at your at your body um um, I have to I have to also put in here that there was a huge part about this that it's a bit of a tangent but it's really important um, mm-hmm. my senior year junior junior to senior year of uh, college track I mm-hmm. developed, I developed a lump in my upper left groin that mm-hmm. ended up being something called a lipoma which was hindering my range of motion when I sprinted which mm-hmm. I then had removed this summer after my junior year mm-hmm. which then uh, triggered something in my body that I didn't know existed until that moment, um, lymphedema. So I ended up okay. getting lymphedema in my left leg. My um, senior- can you share maybe for folks who may not be familiar with what that actually uh, what that actually is or how it presents itself? So basically, it's it's swelling, and mm-hmm. it's not you know it's very specific in the sense that it, it's attached to my lymphatic system, mm-hmm. and. Um, so your lymphatic system is something that, you know, everybody's got in their body, you know, as far as like, I don't, I didn't even know what the lymphatic system was before I got lymphedema. Right. So, you know, you have lymph nodes all over your body and basically I have major lymph nodes in my left groin that don't work in my, um, that all. So that basically when lymphatic fluid flows through my left leg, um, mm-hmm. and it's basically a cleansing thing. So your lymph nodes will cleanse all this fluid and then eventually you will excrete it. But once right. it goes into my left leg, there's no major pump to get it out. Mm-hmm. So if I did absolutely nothing for my lymphedema, it would just swell. Okay. Continue to swell, and it's like a form of elephantitis if I did absolutely nothing. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. it was, um, it was like. It was a hard. It was a death sentence to me. Yeah, I was gonna say that must have been pretty devastating, especially at that point. In your it was. Life. It was hitting a brick wall. Young. Yes, it was mm-hmm. exactly like hitting a brick wall because I had swelling. I didn't know what it was. Um, long story short, I I got diagnosed. I ended up coming back to the University of Minnesota because no one in Iowa could kind of diagnose me. Um, right. And I got some appointments up here, and they figured out it was lymphedema, and they gave me a crash course on how to take care of it. And then mm-hmm. they're like, yeah, you probably can't be a division one sprinter. That's obviously not something you should do. So I had to go back to school and also quit, which felt mm-hmm. horrible as a senior, you know, full wow. ride scholarship person just felt weird. It was my identity yeah, yeah. and everything. Um, mm-hmm. But lymphedema is all about managing your symptoms. There's no cure for mm-hmm. it. So ever since that was 20 years ago, I've been managing my symptoms um, mm-hmm. and you know, altering my expectations and um, and also um, leaving my ego, learning how right. to leave my ego at the door, like vanity, um, all these different things. I kind of just, I kind of, uh, I skipped over like mm-hmm. the the 20s that I think a lot of women have where they're just, you know, really trying to, to fit in, find themselves and like whatever. Right. I skipped over that. I, I, I had to be okay with who I was and everything about myself because it was so different from everyone else. Right. Um, in order for me to survive and to take care of my leg without, you know, being depressed right. about it all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah, I was at a place yeah. when I found CrossFit where I was managing it pretty good to the point where mm-hmm. I finally started working out again. Right. I started working out again by walking. Wow. Okay. So, yeah. So from the point that you had. Um, discovered that you know this was what was happening with you with lymphedema mm-hmm. and you had a transition from track and all of that to finding crossfit mm-hmm. 
during that period of time, were you pretty much not training it at all or doing any sort of movement at all? No, I so I was at that point. So by the time I found CrossFit, it was about eight years since I'd been diagnosed with lymphedema. So in that eight years, I spent uh-huh. probably about a year of or year or two of it not really doing anything athletically and wishing I could. Because mm-hmm. remember, I told you I'm competitive right. to a fault. It was hard right. to get depressed right. and... I was like, so I'm just a normal person that goes to work and doesn't do anything. And yeah. like, you know, my identity is lost. Mm-hmm. And so I, um, I, I literally started by walking to see if I could manage my leg with whatever happened from walking. And I could do it mm-hmm. that well. So then I added in walking and running. I could do that well. So I added in a little bit more running. And then I added in some weightlifting. I would do this all before work. And then I'd go lift weights after work. Um, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. weightlifting is something that I started doing with my dad um, back in um, when I was started running track. I wanted to get better, and so he built like a little weight room for us in the basement. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and I should also tangent and say this is quite the littlest tangent, but it's a very important piece of me that my mm-hmm. dad's dad, so my grandfather, was the heavyweight lifting champion of the British Empire from 1942 mm-hmm. to 1944. And, yes. First of all, yeah. that is not a tangent. That is just super amazing. And yeah. Cool. Are you kidding me? You no. Know, and I honestly, I didn't know these things until I uh-huh. started doing more CrossFit. I knew that my my grandfather was fit or something, right. you know. Right, um, or something. <laughs> right. And it just never really dawned on me exactly what he did. But my dad, yeah. um, when he when he saw what I did, when he actually saw with his eyes. Once I was deep into training for CrossFit, when you saw what I did, he was like, your grandfather smiling down at you right now. This is exactly who he was like. And he told me all about it. He went and dug up. And it's really hard when my parents are from Trinidad um, to find pictures. But my aunt found some pictures of him when he was like in his prime lifting days. And she got some information about him. But back then he um, in the. I think it was called like the 19, the 1942 to 1944 heavyweight lift champion of the British Empire is what they called it because Trinidad Trinidad's a British uh, British right, colony, right? And he was the first man yeah, to lift. He was first man yeah. to lift uh, 360 pounds over his head back then. <gasps> so yeah, I had all those stats that my, my aunt had sent over to me in the middle yeah. of my CrossFitting. Uh, competitions and stuff and so it was really inspiring to see that oh not only is this something that I felt like I wanted to do it seems like it's something that I was always going to do it's it's in me it's in you yeah it's in you so um, and I bet it was just so amazing to be able to kind of find that and learn that during that time yeah sort of figuring out what's what right right because it's just so hard to train and do all that stuff for CrossFit and it was nice to have another reason um to hang my hat on there um, it was it was quite the inspiring piece for me. I would often think about wow. him in the middle of competition. So, um, wow! I mean, I'm literally I literally have chills listening. Yeah. It's such an amazing amazing legacy that you you have and you come from. Um, and as an aside, um, it's really interesting because you mentioned you know when you talked a little bit about your lymphedema. I remember when I first sort of started to learn more about, you know, women doing, you know, whether it's powerlifting or strength sports and all of these things, and I had come across you, and I don't know if it was from a specific competition or whatever, and I remember seeing you and those long legs and this, like, 
you know, it looked almost like the kind of one piece mm-hmm. unitard that Flo Jo would wear. Yep. And I was like, look at this sister right here <laughs> in it in this. I had no idea what you know what it was obviously behind mm-hmm. it. But I just was like, okay, so we got the Flo Jo CrossFit. I see you, <laughs> and I just remember that stuck in my head. And then I think I maybe read a little later on maybe one of your posts about you know you having um, lymphedema, and I my mouth just dropped because I was like, oh, <laughs> all these things. Like, I mean, yeah, I was completely just dumbstruck and proud and just like so psyched to see you doing those things. Um, so yeah, like that had an impact on me and I didn't even know, you know, the full story. So just to kind of let you know, you were, you were out there inspiring people just by being <laughs> and not even And I always think it's so. interesting that I feel like more, more so black people make the connection to Flojo. <laughs> Which right, is exactly, always fun because exactly. I'm like, I mean, I'd hope that's what the connection you want to make. She was like my idol when I was younger okay. and decided I wanted to be I fast. Mean, yeah, and like your, your, your physique reminds me of her and even like just some of your, your stru- the structure of your face. I'm I'll like, take it. This person? I gotta look this I'll take up. that Ooh, all geez. day. I'll take it all day. <laughs> well, listen, it is, it is well deserved. Um, um, yeah, so I think, you know, where we were going with that was when you found CrossFit and yeah. again figured out, yo, you know, I have legacy in this, I'm good at this. How did that change your relationship with your body? And now even knowing sort of what you were going through physically at that time, uh-huh. how did CrossFit affect that? Well, um, so yeah, I mean, it's it's hard because I know my story is different than most in that I was mostly worried about, honestly, I think people wouldn't know this, worried about people knowing that I had lymphedema and seeing it. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. as I was, as I found CrossFit, which was literally around the time where I was just running and lifting weights and getting bored with that and wishing I could be an athlete again, because I felt like that was taken away from me. Um, Mm I, um, I'm sorry, I lost my train of thought, but basically I started competing at the open Mm -hmm. and it was somewhere around, um, I want to say like the, fourth or fifth week of the open when I realized like, hey, I'm gonna make it to regionals. I'm also possibly gonna be, you know, first place at regionals. And I thought, okay, I have to find a way to not wear long workout pants. All the way up Mm -hmm. until then, I was wearing like my long, I think Lululemon groove pants. Right, Um, right. And I was like, I can't do this in pants. And so I worked my way up to it, putting uh, capris on. And then I finally Mm -hmm. put shorts on. So while most people are like worried about like, I don't know, their body and like image and stuff, I'm sitting here just worried about what are people going to say about my leg? And Mm -hmm. I knew that like for me, at least for me, um, when I looked at myself, I looked at my leg first and then I could see myself versus other people. What I didn't understand is that they they don't see my leg first, especially if they're mm-hmm. looking at me in like the CrossFit realm back then. It was like they were noticing yeah. like my performance, right? And then they're like, "Oh, in her leg," you know. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Um, I guess yeah, it was it was just hard to to uh, and it was good. It was actually a therapeutic thing. It was honestly a good thing for me to find CrossFit and to find myself um, owning my lymphedema more outwardly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, wearing shorts, like, yeah, this is me. It felt like, right. I felt proud to be like, yep, this is me. And I've been doing it with this the whole time. Yes, I've been, I've been beating you and on your level with this handicap. Okay. <laughs> so if I felt like it gave me an edge, at least mentally, it felt like, yeah. you know, it felt good yeah, to, yeah. to actually finally show everyone, like, this is what I've been dealing with. 
Right. So, right. So this is more of a technical question, but I'm curious since you mentioned this. So I, like I said, I, I once I kind of gleaned from what was happening that I assumed that the the thing that you wore was more like a compression type garment, so yep. it would kind of keep swelling down. So if you weren't able to, and I don't know if that was the rules, like you had to wear shorts or whatever, but assuming no. that, okay, I have to wear shorts or whatever, how did that impact? Like, did you have like a certain amount of time that you knew you could sort of be in this space without the compression and be able to do these things before it would kind of start to come back? Or how did how do you how are you how are you able to manage that with the rigorous workout and training? Um. Honestly, so at night I do a very in-depth like com- uh, compression wrapping routine that okay. involves mm-hmm. like compression bandages and foam, and it's hard to explain. It seems actually kind of archaic, but it works for me. Mm-hmm. So that pushes out quite a bit of fluid at night, and then gotcha. during the morning I I put on a garment, a compression garment that I mm-hmm. wear continuously all day long. Now I didn't okay. have to wear shorts at the games or whatever, but like, can you oh. imagine like? trying to do everything you have to do. Like, I can't wear, like, I'm not gonna wear long pants either. And the other thing is that sometimes when I wear capri pants, the way that the capris cut off at my calf would annoy my lymphedema and cause, like, you know, almost swelling at that area. So Mm -hmm. it was more comfortable Mm -hmm. to wear shorts or full pants, like full tight pants, like tights, Um, but not um, necessarily in between all the time. I know it's like really like nuanced, but, yeah, it's just, it was just, it was just, it just felt more comfortable to wear shorts because it didn't mess okay. with my compression and I just had to get there. It felt comfortable physically, but mentally it was hard for me for a little bit to wear shorts, honestly. Right. So. Right. I, I can dig it. Um, so, you know, you talked a little bit about sort of your, your family history with um, strength and sports and um, and, you know, you got started in CrossFit and I think you said at the, at the outset, your dad was kind of like, okay, this thing. And then when he really saw what you were doing, he was like, oh, um, so my question is just generally speaking, what, you know, how has your family or how had your family and friends sort of reacted to, you know, your involvement as they sort of started to see, oh, okay, this is serious. Like, this isn't just her, like you said, going to the, you know, doing a couple of wads or, you know, paying a couple of bucks and being able to do this. Like she's she's moving through the ranks like what was that looking like for you in terms of support family and friends um i think i mean they were super supportive i don't i don't Mm -hmm. think i have any complaints about that i mean people were on board right away i think my dad in particular like i said was very proud um right he is the you know the athlete where the athlete mind came from in our family i guess you know Mm -hmm. and um i think it was fun for him to see me meld together gymnastics, weightlifting, track, everything that we'd ever done um, Mm -hmm. or he's ever seen me do. Um, And likewise with my friends, um, people were right on board with, and like, and I should say my husband, he was like my biggest support and cheerleader. And that's awesome. Yeah. Like it was, (laughs) if you asked him, I was obviously the best. (laughs) And so um, it was, it was honestly probably just uh, really hard. It's almost as hard for him as it was for me. Um, he would watch me compete and you know I think just want to will me to be better or do better you could see in my head like maybe you know you rested there but I know you didn't have to because the other girl rested and she did like a really crappy rep and you you rested to do a perfect rep you know like Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. just like little things like that would just um really eat at him (laughs) so yeah yeah I don't know they were all very supportive though that's awesome. That's, yeah. that's I, I love hearing that. So, um, 
moving back to you know this little thing we call regionals in the game that you were super modest about at first. Yeah. Um, so tell me a little bit about what that was like. So you know you you found out oh okay I'm going to regionals. Oh okay I might actually make it all the way. Like what typically how did your training change? How did your you know mindset mm-hmm. or whatever if it all changed when you were leading up to to that moment? Um, you know waiting for that that countdown at the games. Um. For you talking about like both regionals and the games, or just um yeah sure or you know going well I will say kind of getting to that point yeah. right and I what I will say I'm gonna I'm gonna be super candid here okay this is Please. some things I've never said before and I'm gonna I'm gonna speak my mind for once about how I felt yes. about how things went um mm-hmm. with uh in, in in respect to me being a black woman and all of that mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. when I made it to regionals uh, I walked in there and it was in 2011 I'm talking about the first time here so. I knew it was a big deal. Like I knew I went from like casual to like prime time, like right, like right. overnight. Like not only that, yes. just you know, target at my back. I was number one in the region. Um, mm-hmm. I should make it to the games, and there's like 60 girls here vying for me. You know, so I was one of two black women at that regionals. It was Central Region. It was me and Elizabeth Akinwali. And mm-hmm. beyond that, Elizabeth had reached out to me like a few months before because she had she's from Minnesota and had done gymnastics right. growing up at a different like gym. Um, I was going to say that's, you know, I, it just struck me that you all kind of were in that same space and you all didn't know each other prior. To no, no, we did. Wow, like I so like might have I might have sort of remembered her, but I, mm-hmm. I don't remember like specifically competing against her only because I right. think she's just a little bit older than me and like when you're young okay. if somebody's like two years older than you they might as well be like five years older you know what I mean like, right exactly and so have totally different circles right and um so yeah it was it was nice that she was there because it was like okay I'm not the only black person but it also sucked right. that she was there because she was also very good <laughs> right so <laughs> I was like oh great now I have to get around her right so she's my yeah. competitor but also kind of feeling like sort of good that she's there at the same time mm-hmm. but when we got there, it was, like, kind of, like, all right, we heard that, like, Reebok was, like, obviously sponsoring the games, right? This was new. Mm-hmm. And we knew that Reebok's rep was there. And um, I feel my blood pressure rising. Already. It just Go felt on. like I didn't know anybody else there, but I felt mm-hmm. like this almost pressure, like, I needed to be sponsored or right. or something like that. And I just didn't know what to do. But I always felt like that they lended their... Voice, or I mean, what am I trying to say? They they really kind of lean towards other people. There right. were some. There was. I'll just be honest. There were some cute white girls that were there yep. that definitely got a lot more talking mm-hmm. to than I did. And right. Even honestly, if you guys had different placings. Like, right. That's where I peeped. I was like, oh, but why are you featuring the second place? Anyway, right. And on. I can <laughs> tell you exactly what happened was. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, I did make it to the games and. Um, it's, where am I at now? It was so you're at the game, right? You, okay, you know, meet um, Elizabeth. You at regionals. This is at regionals, and right? See what's going on, right? So at the end of the end of regionals in 2011, I ended up making it to the games. The funny part was is that I ended up getting third at regionals, top three make it to the games. But mm-hmm. this is where it started getting annoying. Nobody could could tell Elizabeth and I apart. Like Elizabeth is like. I don't know how tall she is, but to me, she seems like six foot, right? But she's not. Y'all it's just like, I'm 5'4". I have a whole 
like black garment on my leg. Like, right. I get that we both had curly hair. Like, y'all not the same complexion. Right. Not like, necessarily the same build. They like, had uh. me. They could never get. So even then, she ended up getting second. I ended up getting mm-hmm. third, but they called me for second and her for third and then realized, and then they took the picture. Then they realized they messed up and then we had to like switch medals and then go back right. for the picture. But to this day, if you ever looked up in 2011, who got second or third in regional, thought that matters. They probably have me listed as second when I actually got third. That was the beginning of them mix, mixing up because she actually got, yeah. um, she beat me out by like one point. But mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, anyways, then I get to the games in 2011. I trained as hard as I could. I didn't understand what we were, like, the guy who owned the gym basically coached me. Like, we didn't know what we were doing. We are just like, let's train hard. So right. um, <laughs> we get there. They swim test us in a pool. Mm-hmm. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, great. Like, I knew I wasn't a great swimmer, but I definitely swam in the pool just fine. You know, like, just fine, right. like, meaning, like, I wasn't going to die or anything. They had us do one yeah. length, one length in a 50-meter whatever pool. Not mm-hmm. even. I think it was 25 meters. Like, yep, they're good. And we didn't know what we were doing, but, like, they, they deemed that good for the ocean. So, right. um, <laughs> which I thought was <laughs> complete dog shit, if you ask me, but, like, right, whatever. Right. Um, so the Reebok guy, the head of Reebok, um, God, should I say his name? I shouldn't say his name. He doesn't work for them. Listen, if... Look, show, tell the truth and shame the devil if you want. His name was, up to you. <laughs> I don't remember his first name, Hasselbeck, okay? So Hasselbeck mm-hmm. is his, he's like the father-in-law of like Elizabeth Hasselbeck from The View. Oh, his, okay. I think his son was like a quarterback, mm-hmm. uh, one of the Hasselbecks as a quarterback. So his, he was, he was like the guy mm-hmm. that was like basically rounding up the sponsorships for Reebok. He approached me the night, the day before the games. And he was like, we've been trying to get a hold of you. And I'm like, okay. Like, but they they all these people have walked in with sponsors. All these other games athletes have walked in with sponsorship right. contracts, except for me, which was fine. I didn't care. If they didn't want to have, mm-hmm. have me be on there, I didn't care. And I was like, okay. They, he hands me a contract. He's like, can you look this over and sign it maybe before the games? And I was like, oh, my gosh. And so my husband and um, his aunt actually lived in California who was like, had dealt with like uh, contracts. She came over mm-hmm. and like kind of read it through and kind of gave some stipulations and whatever and like handed it back to him. I signed it and whatever before the games. I was like, mm-hmm. fine, I'll be with Reebok. And the first event is announced. It's an ocean swim and I'm freaking terrified. Mm-hmm. Like I cannot swim in the ocean. And they were like, you can't hang on to the paddle borders. There's paddle borders out there just to make sure people were like safe or whatever. Right. And so my right. goal was, I'm like, I'm just going to swim to the paddle borders and like take a break mm-hmm. every time I need to take a break. I don't like, I was like, I'm not competing in the swim. I'm just going to try to survive it and then compete once I hit land where, right. I, where I belong. Time, yeah. Right. And so they were like, if you hang on to the paddle borders, you'll be like disqualified or something like that. And I was like, okay, that totally, like, I can't just swim for that right. long without taking a break. Mm-hmm. Like, I cannot, I can't even tread water for, like, more than, like, I don't know. I, at the time, at least, I did swimming since then. I don't I couldn't tread water for more than, like, 30 seconds without feeling like I might drown. Right. So I was freaking out. And I didn't make it because the waves were so huge. I literally mm-hmm. kept trying and trying. I didn't know how to, to, to like go under waves, on top of waves. I didn't know how to get past right. them. All I knew was that when they hit me, like it went in my mouth and I felt like I was dying. Mm-hmm. And I was just sitting there the first event of the CrossFit Games and I was literally disqualified from the CrossFit Games the first event. Wow. 
on the beach crying. I was like, you have to be kidding me. Like, I am so good. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I remember Dave Castor was like, there was a cut during that game. And he's like, can you compete through the first cut, but like with no score still? And I wanted mm-hmm. to be like, no. But then I was like, no, do it. Just go on the right. field and compete. Every single like time I went on the floor, I freaking killed it. And right. everybody thought, like, when I went to the stands after that, after the first cut, everyone's like, why aren't you out there? You're amazing. I'm like, yeah, no, I got, I, no one knows. Not everybody was at the beach to watch, but I was disqualified. Oh, right. yeah. So everybody thought I was, like, really good because I kept winning every heat that I was in mm-hmm. because I was pissed. And I was like, yeah. I'm going to, like, show up the best I could. But right. then when I was done, when I, the cut happened, obviously, like, the Hasselback guy was, like, standing near my husband when I was, like, um, walking down towards him. And he did one of those things where, like, you pretend not to see somebody when they walk by. Oh. And, like, totally ignored me. This is where I'm saying things I've never said before. Totally ignored Mm -hmm. me. And I was Mm -hmm. like, okay. Like, I have a whole signed contract, and, like, nothing's happened from it. He hasn't said anything. He didn't email me back or anything like that. And, like, literally never. He kept trying to avoid me. And so, yep. And so then when we, games are over, obviously, um, I was determined to make it back the next year that the minute I was off the floor, I was like, I'm not going out like that. Um, I was like months later where I was like, Pat was like, what do you have like a floating contract out there with your name on it? Like, like, what are we supposed to do with that? And I'm like, I don't know. So I just emailed him and I was like, obviously I don't want to be with this company anyways. They don't care about me. Right. They already filled their quota because Elizabeth was sponsored. And so that's how I mm-hmm. felt. They're like, oh, they don't really need another black girl that can't swim. So they probably right. just decided that they didn't want to sponsor me. But you can't really do that technically. But, like, I just emailed them. And I'm like, you know what? I'll just make it easy. Can you consider this me not, not the contract null and void? And he was like, right. that seems like the best thing is what he said. <sighs> Such an ass. Just because I couldn't mm-hmm. make a swim. Like, I was like, wow, if this company can't stick with me for that, like whatever so I have right. a lot of fuel to make it back for 2012 mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. I which mm-hmm. I did um, and um, they did end up having swimming in the ocean and I did make it through that because I did so like I would get up at 5:30 like every single Wednesday and Friday and right. I, I had to get up back I had to no be at the pool at 5:30 and swim for an hour every Wednesday and Friday from to, to get comfortable swimming. And then once it got closer, I actually flew to California and like jumped in the ocean a few times before, wow. just so I knew like that I was more comfortable. I knew that I wasn't yeah. gonna compete in the ocean. I just needed to be able to survive it. Yeah. And I told yeah. myself once I'm at, like once I get on land, these girls better watch it's on and They on. better watch <laughs> out. Cause I made it through. Baby, I made it through. Baby, like look, give me a barbell, what you need. You want me to run fast? Say no more. Right. I went, I, I like, seriously, I was, I was, yeah, I was on a mission. Oh, I love it. Yeah. I love it. That is so awesome. Um, so, you know, from that point, you know, before you sort of made the decision to step away, um, after kind of seeing how that transpired, did that affect or change the way you looked at or thought about CrossFit as a competitor? Sorry, can you ask that again? I, I kind of... I'm sorry. So, um, you know, you, you went through that experience mm-hmm. in 2011. Right. You came back in 2012. You, you, know, you did your thing, whatever. But 
you know, going through that, noticing all the things that, you know, we talked about on this podcast, did that affect or change the way that you looked at like CrossFit in terms of being a competitor, sort of being involved in that space? No, um, it, yeah. it just, I still loved CrossFit. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I it's the same way that I said before. Like, I didn't like what happened, right. but I ha- but I had goals that I wanted to accomplish. So right. I went I went ahead and focused on those. Okay. Um, okay. Like in in hindsight, yeah. I mean, in hindsight, right. I have some taste. I have some thoughts. Mm-hmm. But at the time, mm-hmm. I was like, look, I need to make it back. Yeah. And I'm going to go ahead and figure out how I need to make that happen for me mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. from 2011-2012. Is that, right. that kind of answer? I know yeah. it's not yeah, the yeah. answer That's you thought, I would say, yeah. but yeah. I never, I never, how do I say this? There's times when I thought maybe my race might have something to do, in, in the moment. There right. was times that I thought maybe my race had something to do with XYZ, but I always had Elizabeth to prove me wrong on that. Because I feel like Elizabeth was everybody's, like, acceptable choice. Right. Not only because, like, she didn't have this black garment on her leg. She Mm -hmm. swam in the ocean. She was never disqualified. And she placed higher than me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was like they didn't need another black person. It's kind of how I felt. Um, And it was... It was hard because it put me in a position where, like, I didn't know how to be friends with her mm-hmm. because, like, I didn't, she was such a competitor to me, not only in, on the floor in CrossFit, but also mm-hmm. on behind the scenes with sponsorships. Mm, yeah. So yeah. it was like, I didn't want to resent her. It's not her fault. But at the same right. time, like I'm like catching my ass trying to pay for stuff on my own yeah. with my husband, and it wasn't easy. Um, right. So yeah, but I mean, yeah. I don't think it. I don't think it bothered her or anything. I'm not saying anything about. Yeah, whatever. No, it was all no, for me. Course, so I mean, you know, you were operating under a system as usual. You know, yeah, it's, it's not exactly. The individuals, it's the system. And in hindsight, know. I can get really heated in my head about it, but mm-hmm. during the time, I hung my hat on that. I felt like my dad created a legacy for our family yep. that started with him coming to this country um, on a track scholarship, so showcasing mm-hmm. his athleticism on, on that stage. My grandfather showcase, show, showcasing his athleticism on the world stage, and right. I'm going to continue the legacy for my future kids so they can see that mom did this too, is what right. I focused on. Right, um, right, absolutely. So, um, and, and this is actually a really great segue. I was gonna, I was hoping to get to this in another piece, but I think it, it, it segues really, really well. Um, you know, there was a lot going on this last year, right? And yeah. there was a lot going on this summer. And I think one of the things, of course, that was going on with, um, you know, there was some shakeup at the, you know, top levels in CrossFit. And mm-hmm. I don't know how much you, attention you paid to it or sort of, you know, you know what you, Witness, but I'm curious and now, you know, knowing sort of what your experience was like during those years and kind of seeing, if you want to say, the chickens coming home to roost in mm-hmm. 2020 um, with sort of their leadership and their philosophies and how they run things. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering how, in your mind, that, you know, factored into what you were thinking then. You know, do you feel like it was a, 
kind of a validation of what you were thinking then or, or you know what are your thoughts on that um I did I did get interviewed by uh Julie Fouché has a podcast uh-huh. and she reached out to me and interviewed me around the time that this all happened um mm-hmm. and I um I will say basically the same thing I said but probably a little bit more um but mm-hmm. um it's interesting that it all happened in Minneapolis and this is where I am, right? This is where mm-hmm. all this stuff happened and I was yeah. in a way proud. It was hard to be here sometimes, mm-hmm. to live here with my family, but right. I was also proud that it happened here in some respect. Um, and um, obviously everything that shook down with Greg Glassman at the time, I thought that, and I still will, I will still maintain this, that the right thing to do was to say something. And a lot right. of a lot of people were silent mm-hmm. that shouldn't have been silent. And right. I think that that rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. Um, mm-hmm. and a lot happened because of that. I mean, since that since that interview even like when she interviewed me, nothing had happened yet. At that right, time. right. So, um, obviously and we all kind of know what happened now with Greg Glassman being um Ousted and you know, new mm-hmm. CEO, all of that. Um, most affiliating and all that, stuff. right? Yeah. Um, it's you know, it's just it's it's been hard not right. just as to look back at me as a CrossFitter, but just me as a black woman, um, yeah. reevaluating my experiences in my life and you know, having to really kind of protect and preserve my own spirit, right. um, is something that. Is something that I'm getting better at still mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and for me to look back on that experience in CrossFit I have a lot of fond memories of it right there's a lot of great things that came out of it um, but yeah I'll be honest yeah I'm one of the I'm one of the only top athletes three years in a row like my mm-hmm. worst place was 20th you know once I actually started competing when I wasn't disqualified I've right. I won right. like I won you know I think four events you know, mm-hmm. while I was there, it wasn't like you didn't see me. You yeah, saw me. Yeah, you did your thing. Yeah, and um, if you didn't see me, it's okay. You might maybe you weren't paying attention right away, but like you right. should. If you watched it enough, you you would see me from 2011, 2013. Mm-hmm. And I I wasn't sponsored by nobody. Right. Not one person. Right. Like my yeah. husband and I, my bank account. We we can show you how hard it was. Yeah, right. it's not it's not a cheap sport. It's and it's <laughs> yeah. not even just I needed money. It was just it would be nice to have enough companies like want to come to say, Hey, we want to support you in whatever way Right. There there was none. And mm-hmm. so the only thing that was different about me was that yeah, I had lymphedema, but like I feel like that shouldn't be something that should hold me from getting a sponsorship. It was because I wasn't I wasn't I wasn't what I should have been physically, I think. And I wasn't, I wasn't, right. I don't want to, I don't According know how to, to say this without, I wasn't a white girl. I'm just going to say mm-hmm. it. I, I, mean, I wasn't. Listen, we all know what it is. So, so <laughs> you don't have to miss It's very you. hard. And it's like the thing, if people listen to this and they aren't black and they don't get like what I'm saying, like this is, this is what I wish people would do. Um, yeah. And this is where um, the, the podcast I did with Julie Fouché rub mm-hmm. some people in my circle the wrong way and I mean, what and what happened it's great you know brings to light what i don't need in my life and so right. absolutely 
what what my yeah. husband got out of that because he's like you had said nothing wrong and the only thing you did was be a black woman and speak your truth why are right. he's like why are people always trying to silence your truth your experience your experience like they ask and you and you tell and then they don't want to hear it right that doesn't make any right. sense so I said what I said I said that I didn't have a sponsorship because I was black yeah and it's hard to yeah. say that but it's it's also hard to live it Right. I think it's a little Listen, harder. That right there was a word. It's hard to say it, and for a lot of white folks, it's hard to hear it. But imagine how hard it is to live it. Yeah. Every day. So. <laughs> right. Yeah. So no, I I totally feel you on that, and you know it's interesting because you know so many times people have reached out to me, you know that regularly listen to the podcast, and they'll be like, "Girl, I was nodding so hard." when that guest was talking about X, Y, and Z, and I definitely feel like this is one of those episodes because I'm nodding like, we have all been there in some capacity, whether it's at work or whether it's in mm-hmm. you know social situations or whatever, like mm-hmm. there's that thing and nobody wants to talk about it and we know what it is and people want to gaslight us and tell us that it isn't what we know it is. So, yep. you know, I, I thank you for just, you know, being vulnerable and sharing that because I think, you know, just hearing that from you and knowing that, you know, someone who has reached sort of the levels that you have will maybe let somebody else know, like, you know what, I'm not crazy. Like, yeah. this is a thing and it happens all the time and it happens to all of us, no matter where we are and no matter what our station is in life, you know, as Black folks. So, you know, I really appreciate you sharing that with us. Um, and again, since we're, you know, and I love this podcast because it takes all kinds of twists and turns, but since we're already in that space and we're talking about um, you know, last year in 2020 and kind of everything that was going on. So, you know, here we are, we're in the middle of, of COVID. Um, you've seen this shit show happening, you know, at the highest levels of CrossFit. And we're also seeing what's going on in Minnesota, right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I know what that felt like for me, just watching it, you know, and knowing it was hundreds of miles away. And so, I'm trying really hard to get a grip on what that was like having a front seat to that, just in the fact that you were in that area and sort of, you know, how you were able to kind of, you know, manage everything that was happening, you know, with you, with with whatever was going on and and Mm -hmm. working through that. Um, It's funny because the term preserving my spirit actually came from Elizabeth Akinwale. Mm-hmm. Um, she's mm-hmm. she's very vocal on Instagram, but I think she would yeah. totally admit that in real life, she's kind of like more of a she's just quiet. She's to herself, right? So she's mm-hmm. one of that pe- those people that can really like you know speak her mind really well on Instagram, um, but maybe takes a beat in real life, right? So mm-hmm. she had like an Instagram live, or maybe it was like a just a whatever. She posted something and she said during this time she was like it's really important that we you preserve your spirit and i and i really obviously internalized that and i was like she is absolutely correct um and that it was hard because like around that time i was coaching crossfit at my gym i love my gym i've been going to the same gym for for 10 years through different ownership um and you know, me and a, you know, a couple other people who coached on the coaching staff, a couple, a black, a black gentleman too, really wanted to de-affiliate. Right. Like, I was just like, what's the, what are we saving face for? Like, you're, you write the workouts, sir, the, the person mm-hmm. that owns mm-hmm. the gyms. Like, we don't really need any, we don't need to stay affiliated for any reason. Um, right. Ultimately, they, they chose to stay affiliated because they wanted to see who the new owners were. 
which mm -hmm. I'm actually, I'm okay with it to some extent yeah. because I am okay with the new ownership. It's mm -hmm. fine. Mm -hmm. I'm glad that they did a big drastic change. But there's like a part of me that's like, I don't think I'll, I mean, I'm too old anyways and not too old in the sense I could do masters, but I have too much going on in my life to even want to go back to compete again. Right. Um, but I also didn't want to go to my gym anymore. Mm. Um, and so quarantine and pandemic was actually kind of a blessing in some ways because I just, it's it, that whole time it was like, and now I'm kind of delving away going, I mean, what's the word? I'm actually not talking about CrossFit in the sense that right. it was the political slant, the, the political just landscape right. of everything made mm -hmm. it very, very obvious who was for you and who was not for you, right? Yep. And it became something where I, once again, referring back to preserving my spirit, I, I, those people, certain people in my life, I felt like were, um, they were good for the mm -hmm. time that I was there with them. Right. But it was time for me to move up, to move away from that. Right. I'm not right. here to try to change anybody's mind. If I haven't mm -hmm. changed your mind after being my friend, my whatever, for so many years, if just being in my presence, like being being around my kids mm -hmm. hasn't changed your mind, then I'm not going to. So right. I don't, it's not my job. And you shouldn't have to. Nope, it's not my job. And I just need to remove myself from that situation yeah. to preserve myself and my kids. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I do go to the same gym, but they have two different gyms, and now I go to the other gym mm -hmm. exclusively okay. just because I just felt like there wasn't enough support Yeah. Um, the way I felt like it should be. And that there's that's fine. If that's what they want to do, that's fine. I just don't want to be a part of it. Yeah. So yeah. And then, I mean, that's all you can control anyway is what right. you can do or where you go. So yeah, I really... Really, really eye-opening, that's for sure. Yes, and I really just found myself leaning into the same routine, which I hope is okay, but it's honestly what makes me feel best is um, competing against myself, competing in my own little way, lifting lifting weights, right. um, doing some CrossFit here and there. Like I just kind of went into that mode where I made little mini goals for myself and I accomplished those little mini goals for myself and my with you know in the gym and whatever and I mm -hmm. and I keep it moving. Um, right. I try not to focus too much on being the person that has to change everything because it's just too hard. I don't yeah. know how else to explain it besides everybody asks me and not everybody, but a lot of people ask me my opinion. They want to know what I have to say and then they hear what I have to say, but they don't really do anything about it. Right. And it's just right. exhausting. And so I just, you know, maybe yeah. maybe I'm sounding a little depressed, but maybe I speak to no, how a I lot of us you, feel. Like you, you are speaking the voice of a lot of us. I just yeah. got to the point where, you know, again, you have these well-meaning people who I ain't talked to since I don't know when and want to reach out to me, which is weird anyway. Yeah. And, you know, apologize for whatever or, and, mm -hmm. and you know, how are you? And I'm just like, how the fuck do you think I am? I'm tired. Yeah. I'm tired, right? And that's that was it. That's it. That's the whole <laughs> that's the whole quote. I'm just tired. I don't have nothing to say. I don't feel like educating you. I don't feel like talking about it. I'm tired. Let me be. And the piece um, of that that I wish people would understand is that it's this is what I hate about it. Yeah. I'm tired. I'm frustrated. I'm 
I'm confused, I'm hurt. Yeah. But I, I shouldn't be. If you care about me, you should be too. That's the thing that I hate part. is that they, yeah, I, I yeah. hate that like, when people are like, I hate that you have to go through this. What do, what do you mean me? Like right. you should be and going through this too. You should be going through this too. Because I, like, I realize I'm a black woman and I'm the one that bears the brunt of a lot of things that happen because I'm a black woman. But you should be as in this if you give a shit about me as right. I am. Yeah. Like my husband yeah. is married to me. So by default, obviously cares about me. I mean, not really, because some people, I don't know, but like my husband, I'll tell you, <laughs> my husband cares about me, cares about my experience, and he's in this with me. Yeah. And so when somebody yeah. says, I feel bad for you and how you have to go, he, he's going through it too. Like, yeah. this is his fight too. And I'm, should, I should preface by saying my husband is white, and that's why that sounds mm-hmm. different when I say it. I shouldn't, I shouldn't yeah. not assume that everyone knows that. But yeah, mm-hmm. I, I didn't mm-hmm. expect to um, find him in the cornfields of Iowa, but there he is. There's my soulmate. Hey, it is what it is. Yeah, he's the best. Things happen, right? He's the best, yeah. No, that's true, though, and it's interesting. I read a, a, something the other day. I don't know if it was on Twitter or whatever. It was like a um, this black president um, made this quote and said, you know, the fact that every time something like this happens, I think it was the latest thing, was the, the shootings in um, Atlanta, those Asian-American mm-hmm citizens or Asian people. And, you know, every time this comes up, there's all this, I'm shocked, I'm appalled, I'm shocked, I don't understand, I can't believe it. And it's like, if every single time this happens, you are shocked and appalled, that means that you didn't believe us when we told you the first time what was going on. Right. Because there's no way that you could be shocked when we're literally telling you every day, stop killing us, stop killing our sons, stop killing our daughters, stop, you know, mm-hmm. murdering our friends and, and, you know, other brown people or people of color, like, just stop. So how are you shocked and appalled? Right? I have an interesting... You didn't want to see it or you just don't give a shit? Right. Um, um, my, one of my best... Where a lot of us are now, yeah. Right. One of my best friends from high school that I talk to daily is Asian. Um, mm-hmm. And when this all happened last summer, she's like right there with me. Like she's completely a hundred percent in the fight. Like she's yeah. not okay with it. She's vocal about it. She is. She's my friend. She gives. She cares. Mm-hmm. She, she's been my friend since you know for twenty plus years or thirty yeah. plus years because I'm that old. Um, and <laughs> and when thing the the shootings happened in Atlanta, um, it kind of took her for like. She was upset, but then she got to this point where she became depressed very quickly. Yeah. Then she got yeah. scared. And now, I mean, I talked to her today and she's in tears. Mm. And, you know, I, I remember this feeling from last summer and how yep. manic I felt. Mm-hmm. Because when it happened, I was sad. I was depressed when George Floyd was um, murdered. And, you know, it just... Then I started getting scared because the yep. city in Minneapolis, if you remember, was like really like was burning down. Oh, yeah. And then and mm-hmm. then there was and when you lived here, it was just a lot going on. And there was reports of white supremacists in town. And mm-hmm. then they have this on their arm. You should see a red band and this. And if you see that, you should do this. And then like Ugh. it was and then the curfew was instilled and all these different things. And I was terrified. I was like, there's somebody and there's all these people in this town who don't know anything about me besides the fact that I'm black and they want to kill me. And I yep. make my entire house unsafe because like, case in point, I am black and like my husband's yeah. white and my kids are very light skinned, although I hope mm-hmm. they look black. I don't think they look black enough to be a white. I, like those are the kind of thoughts I have to go through right yeah. now. And yeah. and that's exactly where my friend is. And I'm like, it took it took her, even though she was in it, 
with me last summer, it took it happening to her for her to, to really, to really start like to it. have that visceral response that I did. I was like crying yeah. and like scared, and now she's there. Yeah. And it's yeah. nothing against her because I, I mean, honest to God, if this happened the other way around in the summer, or if it happened to like an Asian man in the summer, I would be right there with her too. But like right. for if for the humans, I just feel for humans to actually understand it has to happen to their own. Yeah. I hate to say yeah. it that way. Which sucks because again, you should, if, if someone is sharing their lived experience with you, that's not something to have an opinion on. No. That's not something to debate them about. You take them at face value because they live and you don't. Right? But I feel but like just, therein lies the problem is because the yeah. majority of Americans do not feel it the same way because they're white. Yep. Yep. They'll never exactly. feel the way I felt. Like literally yeah. feel what it feels like for someone to like look at you and want to kill you because of something that you love, which is the color of my skin. Like what? Yeah. That is just yeah. insane. You know, it's interesting into that same point about, you know, living it versus sort of being affected by it kind of externally like you know i'm raising a black son i have a black husband i have brothers and all of that right and you know when everything happened with george floyd it was like you know you know i, I had that visceral reaction of being a mom and thinking about you know hearing my child call my name out as the you know life is leaving his body or yeah. you know, being scared every time my husband leaves the house but i tell you what when brianna taylor was murdered was probably the first time that I truly became fearful for my life. Like mm -hmm. to the extent where, you know, it was hard for me to sleep at night because I'm like, I'm in my bed in this house that I paid a motherfucking mortgage on and I can't safely say that I'm safe. Yeah. Right? yeah. Or, you know, driving down the street and seeing a police car behind you hits a lot differently after Sandra Bland was murdered. Right. Mm -hmm. So it, it's that same thing. Like, again, you know, I can hear, you know, my husband talk about the bazillions of times he's been stopped or, you know, trying to prepare my son for when you get stopped by the police, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm a, I call myself a recovering attorney. So I'm like, let me put my lawyer hat on and explain to you your Fourth Amendment rights. Let me tell you what you need to do procedurally to hopefully make sure that you stay alive. That's a whole lot different than seeing a police car behind you and wondering if this is going to be the last day that right. you drive to work or that you drive home to, you know, hopefully, you know, will you get a chance to see your family again? Right. right? So, yeah, I think you're right in a lot of ways. It, it does hit different when it, when it, literally hits something that you experience that looks like you mm -hmm. um you know but again that doesn't mean that i can't believe what my husband tells me or i can't believe when you know a, a friend of asian descent describes how terrified she is because her grandparents live in san francisco and mm -hmm. she doesn't know whether mm -hmm. you know what to do because she's here and she's afraid that you know for them to go out of their doors and they're afraid to go outside right yeah so you know this whole thing about empathy is important and i don't know where we got away from teaching our kids that or learning it or having the ability to be empathetic but it's like we gotta you know we gotta get there somehow because otherwise you this is why we are where we are now you know yes it, it's like it's woo. not just because it doesn't involve you doesn't mean that it doesn't involve you like i don't understand right. why that doesn't because i feel yeah. like as a minority it, it involves me all the time oh yeah <laughs> no matter what minority I don't right. know. It just, I, I would never want it any other way. Like, yeah, I just, I don't know. 
but yeah, it's it, it is it is mind boggling. <laughs> um, but one, you know, I wanted I wanted to you know kind of hit a few other topics because mm-hmm. I'm really loving this conversation and I could literally talk to you all night. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that I was thinking about was you know, let's say that there's someone listening to this podcast, right? And it's either a young woman or an old woman or an in between woman, and she's like, huh, you know. Cocktail looks kind of cool. I've been thinking about it, um, but I'm feeling intimidated because you know I still don't see a lot of us doing it. I'm not sure if I could do it. You know, maybe I'm not like super athletic, or you know, I don't have like that typical CrossFit body. Um, what would you say to that person? Um, what advice would you give them in order to get started and you know sort of pursue this if this is what they wanted to do? Um, I would say. I would say that it's just important to to try. Right. Um, I, I mean, I think most CrossFit gyms have a, like, free trial or whatever. I mm-hmm. think that in my experience, oh, and this is, not, this is not, like, just a black woman thing. It's just, like, an anyone that's a scared to try CrossFit thing. Right. They, they, think, they typically think everyone in the gym is just, you know, in such good shape, and they just look. Right. And it's, that's not the case. Mm-hmm. Everybody in the gym is, I would say 99% of people that go to the gym have a life outside of CrossFit that is more important than CrossFit. Right. Um, and so for, it's, I, I mean, everybody looks like, in my gym at least, I should say, everybody looks like just normal people. <laughs> I don't know how else right. to explain it. Right. They're not like CrossFit no, yeah, Games right. athletes. Um but the, the piece about, you know, not there not being a lot of representation in CrossFit gyms, um, that piece is hard. Um, there, there is definitely a lot of CrossFit gyms out there that I think cater to that clientele a little more. And I think you just kind of have to figure that out in the city that you're in. If you happen right. to be in a place where that's like never going to happen, um, I still encourage people to try CrossFit because the more people that try CrossFit minorities of any kind, the mm-hmm. better it is for CrossFit. And any, right. the more people that try anything, the, the better it is for everything. Sure. Um, and I hate to, I hate if somebody has to be the trailblazer blazer in their own right. gym, but it's okay to try and see if it works out. And if it doesn't feel right, you don't have to do it, you know? Um, so that's, that's, that's my piece. I feel like if, if something is nudging you to try CrossFit, then you should try it. Right. But by all means, right. do that. Like, don't just not try it. Yeah. So. I think that's great advice. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, you talked a little bit about you had your time as an athlete. You moved away from it to do some other things. So I'm curious for, um, to hear a little bit about what that transition was like. You know, you stepped away. Mm-hmm. And again, you you know, for this amount of time, you were known as Deborah the athlete, mm-hmm. the CrossFit athlete, blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah. And so you move away from that into some different identities, wife, mom, you know, right. other things. So what did that look like for you? Well, actually, I should say that um, I did have one more season of CrossFit competition. Um, mm-hmm. Sydney, my daughter, I had, a, I had a miscarriage right after the CrossFit Games in 2013. I got pregnant and I mm-hmm. had a, I had a miscarriage and then um got pregnant again and was successful and that was just like really hard for me the first pregnancy after right. miscarriage right so yeah. successful pregnancy ended up happening in the September of 2014 
And I just was so proud to be a mom, but I also wanted to um, someday show my daughter that I could still do the things that I had done before her, right. after her. So nine months after having Sydney, it was eight months actually, I made, I had competed in the open, made it to mm-hmm. regionals, and, and competed in regionals nine months after having her. In between events, I was breastfeeding her. I mean, mm-hmm. I always say to this day, that was my biggest CrossFit competition achievement. Wow. Because, yeah. like, I don't know how I did that. Mm-hmm. She mm-hmm. was literally, like, on my boobs still. Oh. I remember before one of the events, it was uh, the first year they had True From Runners or something at the, the regionals. Yeah, and I had a, I had a, I don't have a very big chest, and when I mm-hmm. when I was nursing, I had I had boobs I'd never had before right. in my life, <laughs> and I remember I took my shirt off before I the workout started, and I pulled my sports bra down, and I felt like I pulled it down too far, so then I pulled it up, and then my boob like almost fell out from the bottom. I was just like, <laughs> what is going on? Oh my god! Like I don't like I'm clearly full of milk. I was completely full right. of milk, and I did I forgot to like empty. Um, and like whatever did the workout found sydney right away fed her and my sister was like she comes up to me and she's like hey nice job i'm like thanks and she was like i almost saw your boob (laughs) i was like dang it i thought no one saw that she's like oh no it's funny (laughs) she's like i know you i know you weren't expecting that because you don't even know what to do with boobs i'm like i don't that is hilarious yeah that's quite a transition right there yeah um yeah, and you know, women are just amazing. They're just magical creatures. But so yeah, so the transition, yeah, the transition after that year, it was it was hard. Um, yeah, just to let go of that that mindset. Right. Um, but I just day by day, like just worked on. I don't know. I remember talking to this to Lindy Barber, who um, I actually ran into when I was in Boston. And mm-hmm. at the time, she was, like, CrossFit Mayhem Freedom. Like, she, like, you know, well, before that, she was an individual. And we competed together at Central Regionals. And then mm-hmm. she joined CrossFit Mayhem Freedom, and they won, like, the games a couple times. And then she retired. Right. And I saw her right after she retired, and she's like, how do you do this? Like, I have no idea how to do this. So right. I think there's, like, a whole right. sect of CrossFit Games athletes, I guarantee, who have no idea how to, like, normalize and just like do I just gain fat now when I get okay with that like it's hard because your body is such a machine I look at pictures of myself I'm like oh my gosh like I was Mm -hmm. yoked I was like so ripped and yeah you just have to step back and you have to like let your body fall into who it was going to be minus all that training and rigid eating and all of it because you're not going to do that for the rest of your life and oh right. my gosh, it's so much nicer. Yeah, <laughs> like I, to just I can work out, and I don't, I don't even track my numbers, none of it. Mm-hmm. I work out, and it's like gone from my memory. And right. I, I also had to instill like more rest, so I only work out like two or three days in a row, and then I, okay, for sure take a rest, a hundred percent, nothing, because once I turn forty, like. I'm like, look, I'm in this for the long haul. I, this is a journey. Yeah. I can't I can't keep doing this to myself. And so I've also started adding in not CrossFit, but, you know, mm-hmm. just lifting or just strength training or using more kettlebell stuff and by yeah. myself in my house, you know. Yeah. Um, so yeah. it's been fun just to add in different types of fitness. 
um, and also feel good about adding in rest. Right. Like lots right. more rest. So. Yeah, and, and more time back into your day. <laughs> yes. I think that, that that's the piece that people, like, rest is so important. And I know people oh, always yeah. say that, but no one ever really, they're like, oh, you know, six days a week, I can take one day of rest. Like, okay, if you're training for the CrossFit Games, good, good. Go, go ahead and do that. But if you're not, like, don't do that to yourself. There's yeah. no reason to do that to yourself. Yeah, <laughs> so. yeah. And it's, it's humbling, I think. You know, I was, you know, I've never been that caliber of athlete, but, you know, I've always worked out a lot and done different things. And, you know, even recognizing now, like, I'm, you know, I'm going to be 50 in September. And it's like, knowing now that there is absolutely no way in hell I could do a two a day. Like, it, it you know, it kind of broke my heart. Not that I have any reason to, but, like, my body is physically like, sis, go sit down. Yeah. You know, even if I do, you know, I did I did a little wad this morning in my basement because I was pressed for time. And I was like, oh, maybe I'll just do my lifting for today. And my body was like, oh, but you won't. You know, and I'm like, I could fight it and risk, you know, injuring myself or doing something really stupid, or I could listen and just not, you know, and it's kind of like, you know, the wisdom to be able to say, you know what, you're in this phase of life and that's okay too, Mm -hmm. you know, and and that's, I I can't even imagine, like I said, for me, but, you know, being an athlete of that level and having to recognize it, okay, not that there's limitations, but you got to do things a little differently. Yeah, and I'm, Um, I'm happy to do it. I know there's definitely, obviously, there's CrossFit Games athletes that are master's levels that are amazing. Right. I don't have the need to do that to myself anymore because I've already been yeah. there. I've been there, done that. So I don't yeah. need to do it again. But yep. I, so I respect that they decide they want to do that. It's just that yeah. for me, like what I find joy in is that no matter how far I scale back, there's always like glimmers that show me that I was a games athlete. Right. Like they'll, they'll, right. there'll be days I'll go to the gym and like certain things will come up and I'll be like, oh, everyone's going to see why I was who I was today. Yeah. Right. Like, you know, and like footage of you, you know, and like a lot of people like, it's, listen, you want to see it? Google me, ho. Google me. Yeah. Right. So it's out there for the world to see. Yeah. You know, where you came from, what you've done and, and you know, what your journey and your accomplishments have been like. So there's that too. Yeah. Like, well, I don't really need to show you the gym because you could just go online. Well, right? it, I will say for my myself it feels good to feel it sometimes yeah where I'm like absolutely. oh I'm like I'm good at this particular yeah. thing that's why I was at the games <laughs> it's nice yeah. to remember yeah. absolutely so um one of the other things I wanted to you know hopefully talk a little bit about is you know I know so you know we talked a little bit about you know um learning about your lymphedema and how to sort of manage that and other things that were happening and I think you know there's another medical diagnosis you had at one point I think I recall you talking about a little bit that um, I'm what that experience was like for you. My cancer diagnosis. Um, yeah. So yeah, my husband and I decided we wanted to have a third kid, and um, we I was pregnant um, last year. Uh, well, basically, I should just say I had a miscarriage January 2020. So I was pregnant and then had a miscarriage January 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, was just in a place where I decided I wanted to try one more time after that miscarriage, and then, you know, if it didn't work, then that that I just wanted one more shot. Right. And um, it was around this time last year where I was wondering if you know things were you know when you have a miscarriage you have to give your body rest, and I was right. wondering if I should try again. And then I missed my period, and so I checked mm-hmm. a pregnancy test, and it was like super uh, pregnant. Right. <laughs> what the line was. 
Like, it was super dark. And I was like, wow, I thought I just missed my period. I can't believe how dark this line is. Of course, I was like, oh, my gosh, we're pregnant, like crazy, excited, but also confused because all these things. During the pandemic, just happened. I was like, okay, I guess I have to call and make appointments, and they're going to be by myself and whatever. And they're like, okay, your first ultrasound will be, like, in May, whatever. And I was like, oh, God, given my history, I really want to try to see the baby sooner than that, you know? Right. Mm-hmm. So they were like, get it, we understand, so let's do blood draws. You're going to do one blood draw and then come for 48 hours mm-hmm. after, do another one. And if it doubles, your HCG levels, if they double, it means, like, we can then order up the, the early ultrasound. So I was like, mm-hmm. okay. So I do my one blood draw first, and then my doctor called me the next morning, and she's like, hey, can you come in? And I was mm-hmm. like, sure. I only did the one blood draw, though. Like, are you guys wanting to do the ultrasound early? And they're like, yeah, your first blood draw, your HCG levels were so high. We just want to check everything. Mm-hmm. She was like, it's not a problem. Some women just have high levels of HCG. And so HCG, if people don't know, is like the hormone that it de- detects uh, pregnancy. Right. Um, and so... I wasn't pregnant. Um, mm. They found out once they drew my blood again after all these tests that um, I had a placenta tumor that um, developed from my last miscarriage. Um, and it's basically a form of cancer called choriocarcinoma, which then this tumor is fast growing and the wow. it basically is tracked by your HCG levels. My HCG levels by the time I started taking chemo were at like 200, or, yeah, 240,000, which is wow. like, I don't know how to explain, I can't remember the numbers, but basically someone yeah. that's like fully pregnant might have HCG levels of like 1,000 maybe. Oh my God. So I was way mm-hmm. off the charts, right? And um, they, it's fast moving and attacks major organs like your brain and your lungs once it leaves your uterus. Um, and so it's very important to start chemo right away. Um, and so I was like, say what, who, what? It was just right, a lot. Right. It was a lot. And um, it was just another one of those, you got to do what you got to do things for me. And um, it's very treatable in the sense that once you start taking chemo, it does shrink the tumor. Um, mm-hmm. The tumor could grow back. And so I'm currently, my tumor did shrink to acceptable, like zero amounts that back mm-hmm. in Halloween is when that happened. Mm-hmm. And now I'm, and then I take like two more rounds after that. So I stopped taking chemo about Thanksgiving. So when I was done mm-hmm. with chemo and um, now I'm like just checked every single month um, to make sure it doesn't grow back for a year. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So it was just a lot to go through yeah. that from a miscarriage and it, it timed me out in a way because I can't even yeah. get pregnant until next October if I want to. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was just in pandemic, um, the basically the racial uprising here in Minneapolis, it was just a lot. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't really have a lot of rope to, yeah. to really, yeah. if you added something else, I'd be like, well, I mean, I can't care about that. I'm sorry. Right. I got enough right. to care about anything else. So, well, I'm, I'm glad that hopefully things are on the upswing. Oh, they are. I, I mean, will definitely I, be keeping you in my prayers and sending you positive thank and you. healing yeah. vibes and all of that. So thank you for sharing that. Um, I know we're running short on time. So um, one thing I did want to ask you kind of related to all this is how have you been taking care of yourself during COVID and quarantine and you know, what is, what is, you know, that buzzword self-care? What does that look like for you this last year? Self-care? Oh, I'll, I'll tell you. <laughs> it's, it's, my husband hates it, kind of, but I love it. I know, it. I shouldn't have even said that I hate it too, but I couldn't think of a better word. How no, it's fine. Um, I, 
I'm doing things I've never done before. I get my nails done all the time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and by all the time, I mean like every two and a half, three weeks or so. Like mm-hmm, it's like my mm-hmm. thing. Um, it just makes me feel good. I don't know why. Like that, that yeah. I never thought that would be such a big thing, but it is. Right. Um, it's the little things, really. Yeah. Like that's just one thing. It's just getting away from my girls a little bit and having mm-hmm. some time to myself. Um, and I really do enjoy working out. But I really mm-hmm. enjoy working out in the way that, in the mindset that I have currently, which mm-hmm. is like, I, I just, I don't really worry too much about the numbers or the, or right. the time. Um, I do a lot more bodybuilding type stuff at home. Um, mm-hmm. I just, I get more enjoyment out of just moving my body and, and being able to after what happened to me last year. It just feels a lot right. better to, it just put things in perspective. Right. So, I, I yeah. definitely understand that. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I'm, I'm so sad because we're probably going to have to skip some of our random questions. But um, one thing I did want to ask is, what's on your training play- playlist? What do you listen to when you uh, train? Oh, my gosh. You guys, everybody's going to hate me because I don't no, really listen to no music. Judgment, I judgment don't listen me. to music. Everybody okay. thinks I'm weird. Like, I've, I've actually sent some videos out before, like, of me doing, like, workouts, and it's, like, silent, and everyone's like, you don't listen to me. I'm like, no, I don't know yeah. why. I never listen to music when I, unless I'm at the gym. Right. And then everybody has, like, an opinion about what should be played, and I literally don't even hear it. I don't yeah. even, yeah. I just. Yeah. No, I, I dig it. I, I, I really started meditating, heavily meditating a lot before, right before COVID, and one of the things I started doing was turning off music when I was like doing heavy lifts or one max reps and actually it was really helpful like I you know I think before I would distract myself from Mm -hmm. what was happening and then I started locking into what was happening and kind of being more mindful about it and you know finding a lot more successful so hey I'm on team no music sometimes too (laughs) so I I get it so I'm not weird I get it all the way weird um one more random you're it's it's your last meal on earth um, and you can have whatever you want, right? It could be one particular dish or it could be like a multi-course meal. So what are you having? Um, I'm going to have my mom's curry chicken and potatoes with roti. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I love it. My last meal, I got to go back to my roots. Mm, yes. I, and honestly, I would have some Callaloo and some mm. chicken too. Basically, any Trinidad, like a full Trinidadian buffet. Right. That's what I would I have that. with ting. Um, I love ting. Oh. It's like the tr- like Caribbean Sprite. Yeah. Oh, it's yeah. so good. I love ting. Uh, I love all that. of that. that that's is, all, that's what I'd have. That's that's some good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> let's skip to our lightning round. So quick phrase, first word that enters your mind. Okay. Strength is strength is. Oh gosh, you caught me off guard. Strength. One word. Strength is me. Okay. Love is all all around us. Black is beautiful. Deborah is. Ah! (laughs) Deborah is authentic. I love it. This has been such an amazing conversation. Like I'm literally like, oh, can we have two more hours? Um, so thank you, thank you for sitting down with me. Thank you for being patient through all of the foolishness. But no, um, I found out that just, I have really bad technology at my house, so I'm that's okay. So <laughs> I'm so appreciative of everything that you've shared with us this evening. Um, two last things I'd love to hear. Well, first of all, where can the people find you on the internet? Um, Instagram, D Cordner Carson. 
mm-hmm. I believe is, yep, D. Cordner Carson is where I mostly reside is on Instagram, social media wise. Okay. I, I don't really, I don't really pop into Facebook as much, but you can easily find me on Facebook, Deborah Carson, very easily, so. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Um, the second to last thing is, what would today's Deborah tell 10-year-old and 20-year-old Deborah? What advice would she give them? Um, that everything is going to be all right. Just believe. Mm. Just continue to believe. Short and sweet. Mm-hmm. I love it. It's just, and I mean, then, I would oh, want to, I would want to go through all the bad stuff I've gone through. I think it's important. So, yeah. 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 I love it. Um, and then finally, do you have any parting thoughts, last words for our listeners tonight? Anything that, you know, sticks out to you or you hope that they take away from listening to this episode today? Um, you know, I, I guess I, what I would take away is, or what I'd hope people would take away is that um, your experiences, is, is, they are important. Um, it, it's important for people to know your story. I think people think mm-hmm. that they don't have a story to tell. Um, I think people think that they maybe lack, like, you know, motivation or dedication. And I think that if you can see the way you're motivated or dedicated in different areas of your life, just because I did it in athletics doesn't mean that you can't do it in other areas. It's just that the thing about being an athlete is that it's held on such a pedestal. Right. And so what I did obviously took a lot of like dedication, but the things that people do in their life that maybe don't have the same um, eyes as being an athlete are important. And it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's worthy of people knowing your story. I just, that's all I, I just, everybody has something to say about their life. And I feel like I get so much late, lately out of just everybody's experience, um, just being heard and letting your truth be heard and not silence and not gaslit is so important. Mm -hmm. And I hope that people don't do that to other people. And I hope that when you hear people talk about their experiences that you you really listen is all. Wow, well, I, again, completely appreciate and all of your stories. So thank you again for taking the time to share with us. I really do appreciate it. And I know that there's going to be at least one, if not more, that are just going to take away, you know, something, so many incredible gems from from this conversation. So um, thank you, sis. I really appreciate you. Thank you. Um, and thank you to our listeners tonight. Um, I really appreciate you sticking in there with us. And now that we've done this, Deborah, you are family. So all you need to do is call me and be like, girl, I got some more stuff to say that we didn't get to. And we <laughs> have another episode. I would love to have you back on it's, you know, whenever you want. So you have an open door. Sounds good. Yeah. So with that being said, thank you, everyone. Um, thank you. And I hope you take something great away from this. I know I will. And we will see you next time at the bar. Bye-bye. <laughs>